Well, welcome once again to Voice of Reason Radio. Your host, Chris Honholtz and Richard Story, joining you on this November 12th, 2021. Thank you for coming on board once again and joining us. Thank you for continuing to be a part of our program and our family. We are part of the Christian podcast community as we try to put out there every week. Really recommend that you uh, give the podcast on there a listen. By the way, uh, we had, just as we are getting ready to record, <laughs> we started getting t- uh, tapped for information on how to put a podcast together and uh, various tips and ideas. And uh, one of the things that we put out there is a, there is a program on the Christian Podcast Community if you are interested in actually putting a podcast together. There is a great little podcast for uh, budding podcasters called So You Want to Be a Podcaster. (laughs) That is an actual podcast on the Christian Podcast Community. Uh, One of the uh, various ones that Andrew does. He does a lot on there. (laughs) Um, But I would recommend go check that out. You'll actually learn a lot. And uh, you're going to get a lot of information. And that's, I think, one of the best ways to get started is just, you know, as some as as happened here. Um, you know, somebody reached out and said, okay, give me some information. Well, this is one way you can do that. If you are actually interested in doing it, go listen to, so you want to be a podcaster. We'll put that one in the show notes. It'd actually be worth listening to. So, uh, and, and by the way, um, if you like listening to podcasts, even though they seem to, I don't know that I swear, Rich, you give them show notes or you give them our ideas before we record. <laughs> Michelle Leslie and Amy Spreeman have a fantastic program called A Word Fitly Spoken. And they are they're not part of this podcast community, but they are wonderful sisters in Christ. And I don't know how. There is like some Vulcan mind meld going on over here. Especially because they're on the other side of the country, for at least from me. They're closer to you. Maybe that's it. Uh, but they they just put out the same week we did our show on biblical inerrancy and sufficiency. They put out an episode on the sufficiency of scripture. I'm telling you, <laughs> there's something hinky going on here. But ladies, if you're looking for a good, solid, biblical Christian podcast, none of this fluff, none of this, you know, girl wash your face nonsense or, you know, the 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 Beth Moore pseudo it sounds kind of christian garbage that's out there if you're looking for a good podcast not that other stuff go listen to michelle and amy Uh, they have a great podcast and they did i don't know how they did it they they dropped it ahead of us by three days they did the same topic we did again (laughs) but it happens uh, quite often it does and it's with them i don't know what it is these are the two ladies in the same week we dropped an episode, dropped an episode with the exact same title. I mean, it wasn't like these were months apart. It was in the same week. I don't know how y'all do well, it, but you're freaking me out. <laughs> I, I think it may be just great minds think alike kind of thing. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> although although if, if their minds thinking like ours... We need to have PD on. <laughs> yes, this is true. This is true. I would highly recommend you go listen to them. It'll be a little bit more coherent, probably. <laughs> and I just swallowed water water wrong. I've really got to get that mic mute button. Um, that way y'all don't hear me nearly coughing up a lung when I try to drown as I drink my Kirkland bottled water. Costco, seriously. 
could you just put a fraction of a millimeter more thickness on these bottles? I swear, grabbing it, it's going to fall apart. I'm just saying. Just a, like a fraction of a millimeter, just a tiny bit more, and so it doesn't collapse in my hand, please. So, anyway, uh, there goes that idea for a for a sponsored. <laughs> I just criticized Costco. Okay, so thank you for being with us. Thank you for putting up with the, that little bit of intro. But I do recommend those two podcasts. We will put them both in the show notes. Uh, I really recommend that you listen to both of them. If you uh, want to keep in touch with us, and by the way, some of you have figured out the website works because we're actually starting to see some input from some of you guys coming from not just the, the email address that we give you, but we've said go to slavetothekeen.com. And if you want to contact us, there's a contact us link. And guess what? Some of you have been using it. Very, very thankful for that. We actually had an email just this last week coming in. Interesting. I, I, I know this one's kind of maybe been talked to death or a little bit, so I don't know. We'll think about whether we're going to do that one as a topic. But uh, we actually had somebody write to us about what's going on with Tim Keller's church and the whole, well, if you're vaccinated, you get the nice seats. If you're not vaccinated, slap your mask on your face and go up in the balcony. Uh, but that was sent to us as a show topic suggestion. So we thank you for the, by the way, if you're going to do that, Remember to sign your emails. <laughs> we don't know who you are. We can't thank you. Um, you got to put your name on there. But um, you know, we really appreciate that. Some of you guys have been reaching out to us and giving us suggestions and starting to give us some input. And we really are grateful for that. Thank you for uh, continuing to just let us know you're there and let us know that you're listening. Um, but again, slavetothekeen.com, that's a really good way to keep in touch with us. It's a good way to keep uh, you know up to date on the show. And I've actually put out a couple new articles in recent weeks. I put one out uh, just the other day. Um, you know, uh, Let me find my links because now I have to... I don't go look at my own website enough. And then I forget what, it, what the titles were of, of stuff that I wrote and, and posted. But... Um, you know, I actually have put out a couple articles and just put one out the other day, but you're not going to know that if you only rely on social media because, oh, I don't know, social media algorithms like to keep that kind of stuff from showing up in your feeds. But uh, we actually did an article on uh, is it Timothy Cho or Chow. I never can say his name right. He's a very well, uh, I don't, I don't want to say well known, but he's very boisterous uh, on social justice on social media on Twitter and so did an article with regard to his social justice thinking where he talked about, hey, fine, you want to call people who are, are into, you know, uh, black liberation theology and womanist theology and, uh, you know, all this, uh, you know, social justice stuff, fine. You want to call that her heresy, fine, but you can't do anything unless you replace it with something, which is a total paint Christian into a corner mindset because you have to buy into the actual beliefs of the heretics and and, and actually have to cave to their uh, their system of beliefs to replace it with something. So it's a total trap. And so we did an article on that. And that's but you're not going to know that unless you go to slavetothekeen.com and you you know hit the subscribe to blog via email. That's a real great way to keep up. By the way, you can and, and I still haven't figured it out. I know Rich pointed this out to me not long ago. Oh, weird. Our, our One of our graphics has a broken link. Wonderful. Um, but there's a support us on Patreon link there. Rich pointed out to me that doesn't seem to show up on the uh, the mobile version. 
look, I'm not IT. I'm not a, a website builder. I'm trying to figure some of these things out. So you would have to go to the actual browser version of the web page to actually find that. <laughs> I hope one of these days to figure out how to change that so it's a little bit more visible. But uh, that Patreon support link is there. So if you want us to help support the show, um, we, that's one way that you can uh, you can get involved. And of course, we've talked about before the link to the store, which actually has our swag. You can go get a Voice of Reason Radio t-shirt and uh, maybe we can prod these guys to remember, hey, it's getting cold out there for some people. Maybe some sweaty sweatshirts and hoodies and stuff would be great too. Maybe. I don't know. We'll bug them and see if we can get that to happen. But uh, we'd, we'd love for you guys to check that out and get in touch with us. And uh, you know, subscribe to the web page uh, because, that's again, that's how you're going to find out about it. That's how you're going to know what's out there and what's going on with the page. So thank you so much again for being a part of this. Thank you for joining us. Um, I think I covered everything, Rich. Was there anything I forgot this time? <laughs> well, if you don't mind, would you mention the... Oh, yes, yes, yes. ...blog article? Yes. Uh, uh, our dear sister Elizabeth Prada... Um, or not? Oh my goodness! Not Elizabeth. What? I'm looking at. <laughs> I've got too many tabs open in both my brain and on the screen. Not Elizabeth Product. I am so sorry, Debbie Lynn Casper. Debbie Lynn. I'm so sorry. I have too many names running through my head. Should have looked at the article first. Uh, <laughs> don't do this at home, folks, because this is what happens. You just mess everything up. I think you've had coffee today. <laughs> no, I haven't. I you, you couldn't pay me enough to drink that swill water. We've had this discussion. Okay. <laughs> But Debbie Lynn Kespert is a wonderful sister in Christ, and uh, like our dear brother Rich, ha, you know, uh, has her own set of disabilities that she deals with, and she has a uh, a website uh, as known as uh, Head. You can look at it as HeadStickDeb.com, and uh, she's got um, her site. The title on the site is the Outspoken Tulip Discipline, Discipling Women for Discernment Through Doctrine. Okay, forgive me. I'm a little bit tired. <laughs> it's been a long week. My poor wife has been sick for a few <laughs> days. And so just being concerned for her and trying to help things around the house, I'm a little scatterbrained. More than usual, Andrew, before you say something. Uh, but yes, on the Outspoken Tulip, Discipling Women for Discernment Through Doctrine, she has a new article that just came out. Can shut-ins serve their local churches? Now, she actually came to us and she asked us, especially Rich, because she knows... He deals with some of those same issues. She just wanted some thoughts because she wanted to make this a resource for those who are shut-ins and for their churches. How can you still serve your church? How can you still help? And churches, by the way, how can you engage them? And it's a, a, a great little article. Would highly recommend you guys check it out and uh, you know and share this with your local churches and may this help you if you're finding yourself in that situation uh, just as debbie lynn is in uh, or as rich is in and you just can't get out there uh and be as active as you think you need to be there's still ways that you can serve and so yes rich thank you for reminding me to sh uh, share this we will definitely put this in the show notes as well um i think it's really great when you know folks like debbie can be such a blessing to the church and to the body of Christ and remind us, hey, everybody has a place. Everybody has a way they can serve. And we ought not be forgetting that. Not only the people who aren't in that shut-in situation, but 
those who are in that situation, there's still ways that you can do things. There's still ways that you can be involved. Don't let anything make you feel like you can't be involved just because you can't do it the way somebody else does. So Debbie Lynn, excellent uh, job. We're grateful for you uh, putting that out there. That will be going on our, our show notes. And no, we did not stick it in the show notes because she makes reference to our show. That was That's a bonus for us. It's a blessing for us, but that's not why we're sharing it. This is, this is a really wonderful thing that she's done, and we want to share that with all of you. So when you're done listening to this program, you go listen to or go read the article. Right, that's an assignment. I've given you a re uh, something to get involved in. Okay, okay, folks. Okay, so y'all have your assignment. So now you know what you need to do. With that said, and Rich, I've monopolized most of our intro time. How are you doing, brother? <laughs> well, as always, brother, better than I deserve. And for the record, I want Debbie to know that she is my hero. And I'm just amazed by her dedication and her faith to the Lord. And I want her to truly know how I appreciate the way she serves and writes these blog articles. And she humbled me beyond anything I can express by my own words. And I just want David to know how much we truly appreciate her, that we love her as sister, as a sister in Christ, and that she will, she and her husband will be in our prayers and how much I appreciate what she does in her writings for the brethren in Christ. Amen. Amen. Well, folks, thank you, uh, as I said, let, uh, for uh, giving us that. that uh, it seems like an ana- abnormally long amount of time to have to cover all of those things, but we try to put all that out there because I'm really bad at doing that, and I'm trying to be better um, because it's it's funny when we still get people who occasionally go, you guys do a podcast, and, <laughs> and then with that, people were like, cool, we'll listen to the podcast, and they forget there's a whole host of other stuff that goes with it. So if we don't put it out there, then people forget about it and then nothing happens. So we want, we want that, those resources to be used because that's what they're there for. So anyway, with that said, we really want to get into tonight's topic. Um, Rich, you had a, I think a really good topic. One of those things that I think we don't often we know it. We we discuss it with one another all the time, but at the same time, it's like, do we really sit down to think about what what are the the marks and the characteristics of what is a false gospel? What makes it something a false gospel? You put that out on Facebook and got quite a quite a few responses. I, I got to say thank you to everybody that responded because there were some really nice, um, thoughtful comments in here. And so we, we sat and we looked through those and and then we thought, okay, what does Scripture say about the gospel? What does Scripture say about what false teachers say or do? And so while this won't ex- be an exhaustive treatment by any means, it's as we've always tried to do, we've always tried to make this a, a conversation with one another that you kind of get to be part of and talk about various characteristics. The intent of it, in my opinion, Rich, would be not so much to be exhaustive and say, these are all the things that this covers all of it, but rather pointing us, you know, looking at what people have said, at the same time looking, what does the scripture say that makes something a characteristic of a false gospel? And just say, let's get back to what Scripture says. Let's get familiar with the true gospel. Let's get familiar with the Word of God in its entirety. 
And the being able to spot that which is false comes a bit more naturally. Does that make sense? Oh, absolutely, brother. And like you said, I, I put this out on Twitter and Facebook the other day, and the question was, what are the characteristics of a false gospel? And between Twitter and Facebook, we had a lot of great responses. Um, I won't read anyone's name since I didn't get their permission, and basically no one that replied knew that they were going to be included in tonight's topic, so <laughs> we'll give them a little <laughs> anonymity there. But um, some of the ones that I got from Twitter that I found very interesting was um, one reply was com compromising any, but usually all, of the five solas, works-based righteousness, exaltation of self, belittlement of God, um, the next one was really put well. Um, wrong God first, non-Trinitarian. Wrong Jesus, good man. Wrong purpose of the cross, liberation slash example. Wrong recipients, universalism, no repentance. Wrong problem solved, human flourishing. Um, some of those, have, I don't mm -hmm. know if I would have ever thought to word some of those things exactly like Right. Uh, and I had my Facebook link and it just disappeared. Let's see <laughs> if I can find. <laughs> well, if you've got it up, yeah, I've read, got it. read some that jumped out at you on Facebook. Yeah, I, I, there were some good ones here. Um, you know, false gospel fails to recognize that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in the person of Jesus Christ alone. And there is no mixture of our own personal works that earns or maintains salvation. That's, that's a good point. Maintain salvation. There are those that believe that. There is no other mediator between God and man but Christ Jesus. Closely linked to this issue is whether or not somebody has a true understanding of the nature of God, that God is triune, and that Jesus is fully God and fully man, or truly God and truly man simultaneously. Those are all excellent points. And you, you said something earlier that I think is, um, and he, I think he's make sort of leaning in, into this in saying closely linked to, is there are people who... And we've tried to say this on the show many, many times. There is a place where you can be ignorant in theology, but that does not necessarily mean you're saved. So sola theologica is not a is not a, a tenet of, of of the gospel. But you know, a person who claims to be a uh, a Christian, but not only has no interest in the truth of Scripture, but reje rejects repeatedly true doctrine would be a concern. And so I like what he says, that it's closely linked to whether or not somebody um, you know, is saved that, or, or is closely linked to, to a true gospel. I think that's really important. Um, so salvation is found in our only in our denomination. That's, that's a good point. Uh, sinless perfectionism, the idea that you... Uh, because you're saved, you don't sin at all anymore, ever. That's that's a really good point. Um, uh, characteristic of a false gospel is Jesus Christ is not the only way. That's very that's very very true. Uh, another false gospel characteristic that we have special revelation as to what God's word truly says, and you must attend our classes to learn this. And usually at a cost of you know nine hundred ninety five dollars and payable in so many monthly payments. Um, <laughs> But uh, God has a wonderful plan with for your life. Yes, I love. Uh, he's got a link to Ray Comfort on this particular issue. Yes, that is actually one of the most insidious uh, compromises of the gospel. Um, that this idea that God has a wonderful plan for your life, right? Martyrdom, persecution, uh, you know, murder, torture, per, you know, etc. Yeah. 
Um, works based again. This one I thought was interesting. The North American Mission Board of the uh, SBC is saying that if you're not including social justice along with the gospel, you're only preaching half a gospel. And I, we have heard people say that within the SBC, and that's true. That that's that is a compromise with the Word of God. That this idea that you have to import a godless Marxist ideology for that to somehow be the full gospel. So yeah, those are those were quite a few really good answers uh, into this. Um, and what are some characteristics of a false gospel? I think really good answers. Thank you guys for for getting involved in that. So, brother, now with that, with those in mind, but is there anything out of those that you want to address specifically before we dive into the stuff that we were pulling up out of Scripture? Well, obviously, the ones that replied understood the question, but just for clarity's sake, when you and I are discussing a false gospel, we're, we mean the biblical way of salvation, mm -hmm. and we all need to remember that the entire Bible— is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. It is the good news. It is the progressive revelation of God's promises and redemption towards mankind through Jesus Christ. I think a lot of times the word gospel is thrown around and is used in many different ways and into to a point to where each person may, when you say gospel, that word may mean something different to different people. And in this day and age, we need to to be absolutely specific in what we mean when we use biblical terms. We need to use biblical terms as the Bible defines it, not as society or the culture defines it. So when we speak about the gospel, we're talking about the biblical way of salvation. Now, as you were mentioning, there are many things in the Bible, especially as a new Christian, that we may not understand and we may not comprehend yet that you know, doesn't mean that we're not saved. It just might mean that we haven't studied that issue. We're not that mature in our in our faith yet. You know, as we grow as Christians, we understand deeper and deeper and deeper things of the Bible and other different passages and how they relate to one another and everything else. What we're really talking about is the core basic foundation of the gospel of Jesus Christ as it pertains to salvation. And sadly, you know, one of the passages in the Bible is that, you know, if you deny the Son, you deny the Father. And another passage, I think, that has, over time, well, let me clarify, you know, there are probably a hundred different things we could discuss and aspects to this tonight. We're only going to focus on one or two. And more specifically, we're going to focus on a few passages in the Bible, what they truly mean. One of the verses that I've heard probably misused, misquoted, and misunderstood more than anything else, and it's not John 3.16, but it's in 1 John. My phone is just not cooperating. It's in <laughs> 1 John chapter 4, verse 15, and in the English Standard Version, it reads, Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him, and he in God. Um, first, there are, sadly, brothers and sisters, you and I both know, that do confess that Jesus is the Son of God, that God abides in him, and he and He in God, also affirms the resurrection, affirms everything the Bible says, but yet are now walking as enemies of Christ because there's a particular sin they won't let go of. Mm -hmm. So it's, 
you know, it is possible to actually claim to believe this, but still end up creating a false Christ in your mind. But in this particular verse, when it says, whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, the problem is I've seen far too many people think that that literally means all you have to do is just verbally say Jesus is the Son of God, and that's all there is to it. But there's, um, through Bible Hub, you can click on, you know, they have passages, and you can click and read commentaries, and they have some great commentary on there. But on this particular verse, it's listed under Barnes Notes on the Bible. It reads, Whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God in the true sense and from the heart, this will always prove that a man is a Christian. But the passage cannot mean that if a, he that if he merely says so in words, or if he does it in sincerely or without any proper sense of the truth, it will prove that he is a Christian. Basically, it's refuting that you, all you have to do is just say it. But it goes on to say that on the meaning of the sentiment here expressed, see the notes on 1 John 4, 2, and a comparative is Romans 10, 10. It goes on to explain it's not just the mere speaking and acknowledgement mm -hmm. of that, but it's actually owning it in your life, meaning that to confess Christ is the Son of God is not just saying it with your words, but it's doing it with your life. It's a complete surrender to Christ and all that he commands and all that he taught or teaches and all that the Bible commands us to do. Um, I would suggest go and read it for yourself, but um, the next one would be First John 2.23, but I'll let you chime in right now, brother, because I know you had some notes along these lines as well. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. And, and I absolutely agree. I, the, one of those big problems that we see, and it kind of goes back to that, what some of the comments were about that watered-down presentation of the gospel. If you confess Jesus as Lord, you're saved. Okay, what does that mean? What does that actually get to? What does that look like? Um, but one of the things that you said that it just kind of stuck out to me is we tend to want to reduce the gospel to John 3.16, you know, or we want to say, you know, if, if you, you know, believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, you're saved. And we want to reduce it to that. And it's not to say that the major theme of the gospel, the redemption of fallen humanity in Jesus Christ isn't the the most you know one of the most significant things of the gospel it is but as you said genesis to revelation is the full revelation of god that is the gospel uh, i have heard it you know re referred to as you know uh, creation fall redemption, restoration, or glorification, a couple of different ways I've heard it, but that's the entirety of Scripture covering all these major themes, that man was created by God, that he fell in the garden, that we live in sin and we are under judgment, that the only means of redemption is Jesus Christ who took the sin of man, uh, of, you know, took the, the wrath of God for sin upon himself, and through him we are redeemed. And there will come come a time when there is a judgment upon this earth, and there is a, you know, a, a glorification, a restoration, a new heavens and a new earth. So the entirety of Scripture is is what we call upon when we talk about the gospel. 
And so when we're saying what what are characteristics of a fa- false gospel, what are the things that um, we look at about the gospel, and what is it that is contradictory to that? And I think those are things that we need to keep in mind, because if we only look at it as that kind of truncated view, then we're we're going to get wonky in some of our areas. Um, I was I, I got to thinking about this today as we were talking about okay we want to discuss discuss this subject, and I kind of thought what are things that Scripture tells us that false teachers or a false gospel? What are some of those characteristics? Um, one of the things that comes to mind, and again we'll go back to the whole those major themes of creation and fall and judgment and redemption. One of the things is the issue of on the issue of sin. You know, Rich, we see within American evangelicalism today such a, such a aversion, I guess, and just an abhorrence of the idea of talking about that there is sin you know, that we even want to talk about sin. But in the uh, in First John, John repeatedly addresses the issue of sin, and he says in chapter one, verse eight. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. In verse 10, if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, God, and his word is not in us. Sin is the very reason we need the gospel. We fell in the garden under our federal head of Adam. Sin taints all of creation. We are born in sin. We are born sinners. And we sin because we have a sin nature. So this idea that we try to deny or tamp down sin, the seriousness of sin, that we try to uh, claim that we, you know, it's sin's not that big a deal, or that somehow we don't either need to address sin, or on the flip side of it, hey, if you're saved, you can actually attain a state of sinlessness. Anything that denies the severity of sin, anything that denies that we do sin, anything that detracts from the necessity of understanding that we are sinners, I think is a characteristic of a, of a false gospel. And, and that same, uh, you know, in, in 1 John, in the same book, chapter 2, verses 4 through 6, John writes, Whoever says, I know him, meaning Jesus, but does not keep his commandments is a liar. And the truth is not in him, but whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. We are called, even as Christians, to obey the commandments of Christ. And yet, what is sin? It is a refusal or failure to obey those commandments it is lawlessness it is a ref- uh, it is a failure to live consistently with the commands of god sin is a major aspect of the uh, uh, of our understanding of the gospel and yet you have people that don't even want to acknowledge sin in fact what the bible explicitly calls sin this is another aspect of the of the issue Things that the Bible specifically calls sin, such as homosexuality, adultery, uh, you know, theft, lying. You know, the, there's these various issues. We, we see them today when the Bible says, oh, here's one's going to get us in trouble. 
women cannot be pastors in a church. That right there is a major debate going on within the SBC as an entity. Um, this issue, these are issues where if you disobey them, you are in sin. And God says this, these things are wrong. They are an abomination. They are an affront to him. Yet we deny them to be sin because we don't want them to be sins. Any, you know, any so-called Christian teaching that denies not only the severity of sin, but denies that the word of God has spoken on an issue and says that this is a sin is a characteristic of the false gospel. You know, again, uh, again in First John, this time, ch uh, chapter two, verses fifteen to sixteen. Do not love the world or the things of the world. If any one loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not from the Father, but from the world. Rich, that that is goes right back to that issue of denying what is sinful that you know for example going back to gay marriage or the whole trans movement all these things where people say no no god made me this way it can't possibly be sinful because god doesn't make things that are sinful god made you and you and your sinful uh, flesh have chosen to rebel against him so yes it is a sin so that's one characteristic i think we need to look for and I think that speaks to some of the things that people said in, in, in response to Twitter and Facebook. It's this idea that we are not acknowledging sin for what it is, that we are sinners, or falsely, we can believe that because we're saved now, we don't sin. You know, John's entire book of 1 John is a refutation of the idea that we are, as Christians, no longer sin. Of course we sin. But if we practice sin, if we dive into sin, if we live in sin and still try to claim Christ, he says, the truth is not in us. So we have to recognize the serious nature of sin and the need to be in repentance, the need to be in a constant state of turning to Christ and in prayer and clinging tightly to the one who bought us with his shed blood and changed us and and leaning on the power of the Holy Spirit to strengthen us and grow us in, in, in our walk because the, the denial of sin and its implications, Rich, I think that's one major characteristic of, of a false gospel. Absolutely. Um, if we do not understand how Christ defines sin, we're not going to understand the gospel and we're not going to... If, if we think that we can embrace one particular sin and and still claim to be a Christian, then as the Scripture says, the Father or the Son is not truly within us. And that's part of the overall meaning of that passage when it talks about confessing the Son. We don't just confess with our mouth, we confess with our life in complete submission to Jesus Christ and all that he has written and commanded. Um, 1 John 2.23, Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father, but whoever confesses the Son has the Father as well. Um, a few more verses from First John that overlap in meaning. Um, 2.24, As for you, let what you have heard from the beginning remain in you. If it does, you will also remain in the Son and in the Father. 3.23, And this is his commandment, that we should believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and we should love one another just as he commanded us. 3.24, Whoever keeps his commandments remains in God and God in him. And by this we know that he remains in us by the spirit he has given us. And then in 4.2, 
by this you will know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. Part of that confession is not just merely, as, as Jesus put it, the Pharisees cleaned the outside of the cup while the inside of the cup remained unclean. We may confess on our outside that Jesus Christ is Lord, but do we live and submit to him as Lord? Not necessarily perfectly able to obey, but desiring to obey completely. Um, and that goes back to what you were saying about sin. As Christians, we, as we walk the earth, we will never live a sinless life but we should be desiring to sin less and less in our life. And I know that's been stated many times by many different people, but I don't think it can be said enough. Um, on, on these verses, specifically 1 John 2.23, I'd like to share what Matthew Henry wrote. He stated in this, he's commenting on verses 18 through 23. Every man is an antichrist who denies the person or any of the offices of Christ and is denying the Son, he denies the Father also, and has no part in his favor while he rejects his great salvation. Let this prophecy that seducers would rise in the Christian world keep us from being seduced. The church knows not well who are its true members and who are not, but thus true Christians were proved and rendered more watchful and humble. True Christians are anointed ones, their name, their names expresses this. They are anointed with grace, with gifts and spiritual privileges by the Holy Spirit of grace. The great and most hurtful lies that the father of lies spreads in the world usually are falsehoods and errors relating to the person of Christ. The unction from the Holy One alone can keep us from delusions. While we judge favorably of all who trust in Christ as the divine Savior, and obey his word and seek to live in union with them, let us pity and pray for those who deny the Godhead of Christ or his atonement and the new creating work of the Holy Ghost. Let us protest against such anti-Christian doctrine and keep from them as much as we may. Um, I know reading that in the Old English can be confusing <laughs> for some people at times. I know I have trouble at times myself trying to do the word jumble when it comes to some of the old English. That's one reason I have problems reading some of the Puritans in the original writings. I have to look for the more updated verses, versions that use more modern English. But in this, Matthew Henry's reiterating some of the same things. They profess Christ but deny him by the way that they live while they're claiming to be a Christian. Um, the one who confesses Christ as Lord submits to Christ as Lord. And, and that's one of the key things. Um, and another verse that parallels some of this is Romans 10, 10. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. That, again, is another one that is speaking not just to a verbal... I mean, the Lord says that these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. And sadly, in today's world, many people profess Christ, profess to be Christian, but they live like they've never even heard the name or even heard of the Bible, much less any of the attributes that are attributed to Jesus Christ and, and to God. And another topic, and I know 
we don't we won't have time to go into all of it but another one that is far too often overlooked is understanding the resurrection of Christ mm-hmm. and what that actually means because if Christ was not raised then he was just a man that was executed on a cross it's the resurrection one is one of the things that proves that Jesus Christ is God because he, as the Bible calls it, the firstborn from the dead. If Jesus, and Paul stated it himself, and I'm going to paraphrase it, but if Jesus Christ was not truly raised from the dead, then our faith is worthless. Yep. And I think, I think understanding and getting the resurrection and, and comprehending the resurrection is paramount to understanding salvation and knowing false gospels from other gospels because Christianity is the only one who serves a living God. All the other so-called gods in all of these other religions are dead. They're not alive. They're not living. Take um, Islam or Buddhism or so many of these other isms out there. As Christians, we're the only one serving a living God, because he is the one and only true God. Um, and I know that you and I both have heard sermons and read different things over the years talking about false gospels versus the true gospel. Basically, as Christians, we don't really need to have to understand and study every false gospel out there. We just need to know the true gospel so well that when a false one pops up, automatically we can spot it, see it, and understand it. Mm-hmm. Sadly, in today's biblically illiterate world of American evangelicalism, they can't discern a false gospel from a true gospel because they've not spent enough time in their Bible reading to even grasp a thimbleful of what the true gospel actually means, if that makes any sense at all, brother. No, absolutely. I mean... Biblical illiteracy is such a major problem within the evangelical church that when you actually speak of something that is true biblically, it is one of the things you can almost guarantee is going to the weeping and gnashing of teeth coming from the the greatest source of objections will be I'm a Christian, but you know because of that. And so yeah, there are so many people that cannot discern true from false because they don't know the true you're absolutely correct and it's uh you know one of the things that you were talking about as you read that quote is he was speaking to the issue of people who reject christ in all his offices that was one of the other characteristics that i in right along with the resurrection because the resurrection what we hear people say well you know it doesn't matter if he actually rose from the dead it's his teachings that matter well as Paul said, "Yeah, we're the be the, the people to be most pitied because we worship a dead god." And but part and parcel with his resurrection, people will also deny the of the very nature of Christ. You know, going back to First John, I had the same passage you did that uh, you know he say he says in in verse uh, two, verse twenty two and twenty three, "Who is a liar? But he who denies Jesus is the Christ. This is the Antichrist who denies the Father and the Son." No one who denies the father uh, has, denies the son has the father. Whoever confesses the son has the father also. He says also in chapter four, verses two to six, by this you know the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus has come in the flesh is from God. Every spirit that that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of Antichrist, which you heard was coming and is now in the world already. 
Little children, you are from God. You have overcome them. For he who is he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They, the Antichrist, those who deny Jesus, they are from the world. Therefore, they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. Um, and you, know, you can uh, pick up the rest from there. But the point of that being the idea that we deny who Jesus is, whether you deny he came in the flesh, uh, the Gnostics said that, you know, he had the appearance of flesh, but he was pure spirit. Why? Because they believe flesh was sinful and spirit was pure. Uh, you also have people who say, well, he's not, he's not God. He never claimed to be God or he's not man or he's a mixture of, um, you have these various heresies and they're still being regurgitated. Even today, you have the Jehovah's witnesses who are your modern day Aryans who say he was the greatest creation of God, but he's not God himself. He's a God, but he's not the God. And so anytime you have someone teaching in contradiction to what Scripture reveals about who Christ is, or that he is, I mean, the greatest evidence of his deity, he rose himself from the grave. The resurrection itself testifies to who he is. Anytime you have someone denying the very nature of, of who Jesus is. These are characteristics of a false gospel. And Rich, you're absolutely right. The way we know that is we have to know the word itself. This is why expository preaching is so absolutely necessary. You have so many people today to, you know, who are trying to say, oh, expository uh, teaching, that's lazy. Um, I think it was Andy Stanley that said that because in his mind, coming up with inventive storytelling, that's hard. Um, no, you know, Storytelling is exactly that. It's storytelling. It's entertainment. It's nonsense. It's gobbledygook. It's hard work to sit down and systematically read through the scriptures to understand who Jesus is so that we rightly testify to who he is. So anybody who rejects doing that, who doesn't feel it's necessary to not only study the word and reveal to, to the, the church who Jesus Christ is, but anybody who would then embrace something that is a corruption of the revelation of who Jesus Christ is. These are marks of a false gospel because they reject Jesus as he is revealed in scripture. And John John made it really clear, uh, Rich, if you don't have Christ, you don't have the Father. You reject him. If you reject who he is as he is revealed, you don't have him. So I don't care what you professed. You could have called Bozo the Clown Jesus. It has the same effect. You aren't in Christ if you reject him as he is. And again, this is actual full-on rejection of who he is, not somebody who got saved three weeks ago and is still learning. Okay, well, there's, a, there's a difference. But the point is, is if you have someone who is professing to be a teacher, who is professing this is gospel, yet they have denied the very character and nature of Jesus Christ, Rich, they don't have salvation, and they stand as an enemy of God. Absolutely, especially those that claim Christ and claim the biblical Christ, but yet, you know, leave that little 2%... But Christ is okay with this, this, or this. No, the scriptures make it clear that if we are truly in Christ and in the Father, then we acknowledge and understand that as it's laid out in the Bible, Christ said this, this, and this. Christ said to look with lust is a sin. We need to understand. He literally meant if you look with lust, that's a sin. If you have sex outside of marriage, 
That's adultery. That's sexual immorality. That is a sin, period. There's no exemption clauses in there. There's no exceptions because God shows no partiality. His word is his word because it is his word. And there's no compromise with God. God's not trying to negotiate with sinners, trying to get them into heaven. God's going to save whom he will save. And if God has created someone as a vessel of wrath, his wrath will be poured out on them. I know this is not popular. I know some people want to think and believe that every single living person on this earth is meant for salvation. God has made it clear in his word that there are vessels created for his wrath. We don't know who they are. We don't know who is meant to be saved. All we know is that Christ commands us to go forth and proclaim his way of salvation. And as Christians, we ought to be obeying that because guess what? Proclaiming his gospel and proclaiming his biblical way of salvation is a blessing reserved for us while we're on this earth. There are actually blessings reserved for us on this earth that will not be available in heaven because they will not be needed in heaven. Mm-hmm. One, one, another blessing on earth is reading and studying his word, is praying, is fellowship with the brethren. Now, that one may be available in heaven, but it won't be in the same way that it is now. We won't be able to minister to one another and comfort one another and love one another because all that will be over and done with once we're in glory with Christ in heaven. And that's sad because, as and I know I'm drifting from topic a little bit, but that's sad that as professing Christians, there's so many blessings that Christ makes available to us while we're walking this earth that we neglect, we forget about, and we throw to the side because we're more interested in pursuing our own desires and our own interest and wanting to be entertaining, wanting this and wanting that, instead of doing as Christ commanding, and that is seeking first his kingdom, as outlined in Matthew 6.33. Seek first his kingdom, and all these things will be added to you. Not the things of the world, but the things of Christ will be added to you. The blessings of Christ will be added to you. And sadly, all of that is denied by so many false teachers and so many false gospels that try to make it about you, Uh that try to make it man-centered, that try to make excuses for your sin, that try to allow you to claim Christ, yet hold on to one particular sin. And I'm not picking out one sin over another, but, you know, it's interesting that you hear the word homosexual Christian, but whenever you heard the term serial killer Christian Mm -hmm. or bank robber Christian or, you know, mass murderer Christian, it it, it doesn't fit because people have enough sense to know that that's not the case. And when have you ever heard of a group of adulterous Christians or fornicating Christians? Now, there are many who claim to be Christians that are actively engaging in sexual immorality. And that's sad, but that's just one example of they try to take a particular sin that they're embracing and that they love, that they're not fighting against, and they try to make excuses for mm-hmm. it by saying, well, we're in love, so it really don't matter. Yeah, it does matter. Yeah. You don't believe me? Go to the Bible and read what the Word of God actually says. When Christ says sexual immorality is a sin, he meant sexual immorality is a sin. Your opinion and, and your version of or definition of what he meant by that does not matter. It is the Word of God, and God is not going to compromise on what thus saith the Lord. Amen. That makes any sense. Absolutely. Absolutely makes sense. And, you know, it's funny, you're talking about, you know, the homosexual Christian or progressive Christian or whatever you want to call it. 
Um, anytime you add an adjective to Christian, anytime you modify it, you're revealing a great deal about yourself. Um, we shouldn't even have to say like conservative Christian or biblical Christian. If I'm a Christian, if I'm genuinely a Christian, I believe what the Bible says. So anytime we're adding an adjective to it, we're trying to modify it and make it clearer about what we are. And when, But when you especially take something that is in direct opposition to, to the Word of God and then say, I'm a LGBT Christian. I'm a adulterous Christian. I'm a thieving Christian. You're revealing that what you what you are. You're you're actually someone who's not a Christian. You are someone who denies the scriptures. You're denying what uh, the sinful uh, nature of what you claim to you identify yourself as, and you are denying Christ. And it this is one of those other marks that it can be a bit contentious because you got to be careful how you say this. Is that Anybody who denies repentance is something that is, I want to be careful how I say it, a component of the gospel, so to speak. You, you don't repent to get saved. Let's, let's make that clear. It is, it is not a prerequisite that you repent and then you get saved. Rather, salvation comes through repentance and faith. They are two sides of the same coin. And these are, even repentance and faith are a gift of God. That's why when we, when we look at, uh, you go to, you know, um, Ephesians, where it says that uh, we, for by grace, Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works that no one may be, no one may boast. If we attach beforehand and say, Repentance is a prerequisite to, for, for salvation. Where This is where the argument of, well, you're adding works starts coming into play. But when we recognize that, for as verse 10 says, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Repentance and faith are things that God grants. And so therefore, our faith, something he gives us so that we might be saved, produces works, which is something that evidences that we are saved. When you have people say, well, you can't say the repentance is necessary. You can't emphasize repentance. You can't tell people they have to repent. Well, let's go to Jesus, who in Mark chapter 1, verse 14, now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel and saying, what? The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. Christ himself commands us to repent. We are to turn from our sins. So when we say that you can't, uh, you know, we, we don't want to talk about repentance. Repentance is adding a work. Repentance is, is telling some, somebody they have to do something. Repentance just means change your mind. It is a denial of what scripture says. Going back to 1 John, this time chapter 3, verses 4 through 10. Everyone who makes a what? Practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared, this meaning Jesus, uh, appeared in order to take away sins. And in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. In other words, making a practice, making a lifestyle of sin. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. And so, Paul, or stopping right there, John is saying that if you 
claim to be a follower of Christ, yet you are living in an unrepentant state of sin, your your profession is spurious. It's useless. It's worthless. That's why James would write that faith without works is dead. It's a dead faith. It didn't change anything. It didn't produce anything. There's no difference in your heart. It's still hard rock. It's not a, you're not a new creation. Repentance is not something that saves us, but repentance is a uh, evidence of our salvation, of that work of regeneration of the Holy Spirit. Uh, verse 8, he says, whoever makes a practice of sinning is of who? The devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared to was destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice or yeah, whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother rich. We see this as an evidence and a characteristic of a false gospel. You you see this sometimes in the, the name it and claim it, blab it and grab it, NAR type folks. I know, for example, uh, Joseph Prince, he's one of these you know prosperity preachers. He says that to, to preach repentance, the, uh, repentance is to, de to denigrate the work of Jesus Christ. In other words, if you tell people that they have to stop sinning, that they have to turn from sin, you are dishonoring the work of Jesus Christ. He says it just means change your mind. Well, Changing one's mind means we change our actions. If I say, gee, I've changed my mind about, um, about, uh, home, or let's say, uh, let's take a different one. I, I've changed my mind about lying. I've changed my mind about adultery. I've changed my mind about thievery. But I never stop doing them. Rich, I haven't changed my mind. It's like you were saying about professing Jesus is, is our Lord. If I do not submit to him as Lord, my profession is worthless. It's mere words spoken into the air. If I say I change my mind about sin, but I have no practice to evidence that, then I have not demonstrated actual repentance. And we see this again as one of those characteristics of a false gospel. That, you know, this was why the Gnostics were, you know, were, uh, you know, such heretics and what they preach. It didn't matter what you did in the flesh because the flesh was just, it was a mess anyway. So it was the spirit that was pure. So you could live in a sinful manner because that was the flesh and the flesh was worthless anyway. You know, and that's where I see there's a practical Gnosticism in so much of modern evangelicalism because we tell people they don't have to stop sinning. They don't, they don't even want to call it sin. They just want to call it bad choices or mistakes or oopses. You know, and, and Jesus, he loves you no matter what. And Rich, that is such a corruption of the gospel because while good works don't save us, we are turning from our sin and turning to Christ is evidenced by what we do, right? Oh, absolutely. And repentance is a work, but it is a work that is evidence of salvation through the gift of Jesus Christ. Uh, and I hope people understand what I'm saying. Repentance is an aspect of salvation, but it's not a means to salvation. Mm -hmm. All of that kind of happens all at the same time. When Christ grants you salvation, you will have a repentant heart because God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. Only a grace-filled heart can truly repent to Christ for that person's sins against Christ. 
and that in itself, repentance is a gift from Christ, and it is a result of salvation, making it an, a work result of salvation, just like loving your enemies is a result of salvation. In our flesh, it is impossible for us to love our enemies because in our flesh, we want to retaliate. We want revenge against those that have harmed us or our families. In our flesh, we want to be right. In our flesh, our pride is dominant, and we've got to have it our way and have it now. Once we are saved in Christ and we have that evidence of true repentance, that evidence of true repentance will flow outward throughout the rest of our life in the way that we live and desire and seek after to obey Christ and all of his commandments. We don't obey Christ to keep our salvation. We obey Christ because we have been saved in Christ, and we want to obey Christ because we want to please our Savior, Amen. not because we've got to earn favor or because we've got to keep our salvation or we've got to work towards this or work towards that. But in simplicity, a child seeks to please her parents. A child seeks to please its mama and daddy, not because it thinks that it's got to please the parent to be continued to be loved, but just out of pure, simple faith and joy. It pleases a child to, you know, make the mom and daddy happy. And happy is not the right word, <laughs> but from a from the Holy Spirit indwelling within us, it will reach out and reach through the rest of our lives to where what we do and the way we interact with one another, the way we worship the Lord is all from that desire to seek and live a life holy and pleasing to God. And without the indwelling gift of the Holy Spirit that comes through the gift of Jesus Christ by salvation, it is impossible to please God because the Bible tells us that in our flesh, it is impossible to please God, no matter how great our works, no matter what we do. It's all worthless, like filthy rags. Even our best, best day is still as filthy rags in the eyes of God without Jesus Christ. And, you know, if you read through the epistles, Paul over and over and over again addresses the fact that we're not saved by works, but yet so many in this world think they have to work or earn their way to salvation. And that's not true. And I know that you know, the the discussion about works and work salvation has been covered a million times, but it's still worth noting because people are still trying to add works to salvation today when it comes to critical race theory and embracing different worldly ideologies and all these other things. It's all still, it's modern day circumcision because the Jews were coming to those in Antioch and other areas where Paul had been and were telling the the disciples, unless you're circumcised, you can't be saved. But we still have that today. It's just worded different. Mm -hmm. Unless you're embracing this, you can't be saved. Unless you do this, you can't be saved. Unless, unless, unless. Unless you repent and believe the gospel as commanded by Christ, and you beg and plead Jesus Christ for salvation, and you live as one that has been saved by Christ, are you truly saved? Amen. Amen. And and that's the thing. I mean, it's this, it, you know, Christ said... That if you you love me, you will obey my commandments. Those uh, as and we've said this again you know, many times. 
It's not the obedience that saves you, but it is the evidence of obedience that reveals that you are his. And the sad part about it, Rich, is that you were saying just a minute ago, you know, well, you got to do this, you got to do that to be saved. You might, you know, you have to somehow supplement your faith with works. That that somehow those works are what are the determining factor that saves you or maintains your salvation. Um, you know, the the Mormon perspective: we are saved by grace after all we can do. You know, in other words, we've done all of this. Now he makes up the rest. Um, you know, the the Catholic theology of you know, you have an, an infusion, not an, uh, you know, it's not imputed to you. Christ's righteousness is not imputed to you on your behalf. Rather, you're infused with his righteousness, and therefore you can do works of love, I think is how they refer to it. And that is those works that determine where you are and whether or not you're going to go to hell or whether you're not going to, or you're going to go to purgatory or whatnot, is this addition of. And as someone said in, in the comments uh, on Facebook, one of the new additions, the, the adding of works to uh, salvation, is the social justice movement. You have people today who will look in history past, and they'll look at people like Jonathan Edwards and, and them, and say, "Well, they didn't, didn't you know, they didn't rebuke uh, the the uh, sinfulness of slavery in their days, so therefore they could not have been a Christian." They've added to the scriptures and it's not to say that people uh we can't look back and go there is something that is inconsistent with a person's profession of faith and their practice and certainly there are many people throughout history who claim to be christians i mean here's a really obvious one adolf hitler you know courted the church when in his rise to power and he you know, pictures of him, you know, walking out of a church with a Bible and stuff like that, and that's what the atheists and the and uh, and stuff love to point at. Oh, well, you think he, you know, uh, Adolf Hitler was a Christian? Well, Adolf Hitler wasn't a Christian. His entire life and practice was inconsistent with the Word of God, and he rejected the church and imprisoned pastors. So no, he's not a Christian. But when we have people who are products of their time that where they were wrong on an issue with regard to say something like slavery. Are that something they have to stand before God and and, and address just and, and and the works that they did, you know, when that's judged and it's put in the fire and it burns up like wood, hay, and stubble? Yeah, that they're gonna address, they're gonna stand before God and have that addressed. That doesn't mean that they themselves were not saved. And in the same way, you have Christians today who are saying, unless you have embraced this ideology, this add-on to the the gospel of salvation by faith alone in Christ alone for the glory of God alone they've added on to this and it goes back to you know Ephesians chapter 2 verses 8 through 10 or you know starting verse 8 or uh, verse 8, 8 and 9 excuse me for by grace you have been saved through faith and this faith and this is not as your own doing it is the gift of God not a, re a result of works that no one may boast it flies in the face. The whole social justice ideology, which says you are not saved, you are not a Christian if you reject social justice. And yes, there are people saying this. That is faith, that is works added to faith. You go back to Romans chapter 4, you know, we start in verse 13. What does Paul write? For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through what the law, but through the righteousness of faith. 
for it is the adherents of the law who are to be, for if it is the adherents of the law, I'm right, reading too fast again, who are to be the heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. For the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. That is why it depends on faith, in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations, in the presence of God, in whom he believed, who gives life and uh, gives life to the dead and calls into existence things that do not exist. In hope, he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations. As he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was good as dead, since he was about 100 years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God. But he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he promised. That is why it, why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words, it was counted to him, were not written for his sake alone, but to ours also. This is key. It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised Jesus from the dead, now raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses, and raised for our justification. Chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, mind you, this entire argument is that because Abraham believed God on the issue that he would be a, the father of many nations, with no doubting, no wavering, no physical evidence to prove that this could be done, he just simply trusted God and did what God said, he was counted to him as righteousness in the same vein. Those who of us who believe in God, who raised Jesus from the dead for our justification, what? Therefore, since we have been justified by what? Faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this is not at all consistent with, inconsistent with what we said a minute ago. Those who are redeemed by faith are those who are changed by God and those who are the ones who produce works consistent with repentance. Okay? So it is not inconsistent. It is a these are two sides of the same coin. The problem is, Rich, is we have individuals who are saying, you must do this particular work to be a Christian. In other words, it is not a life of repentance, of turning from sin and turning to God and being obedient to the commands of God. It is this specific issue. And in today's parlance, that is social justice. The only way we can evaluate your walk is to you have to have added this work to your faith. That is a false gospel because that's like those who would say, and by the way, baptism is a commandment. So if you are professing faith, you ought to be baptized. Okay. But if you professed faith, you got saved and you didn't find a church that was baptizing people. You didn't get that, you know, that teaching or understanding. And then six months down the road, you've not been baptized, but you're in a car wreck and die. Are you going to go to hell? Of course not. 
okay? You're not going to go to hell because you weren't baptized. But we are commanded to be baptized, so therefore, that is something Christians must do. But not being baptized, rather than a just steadfast refusal to obey Christ, in other words, probably that's one aspect of many other areas where you're refusing to obey Christ, that wouldn't, in and of itself, define you as unsaved. And so yet you've got people today, Rich, who say, well, if you don't practice social justice, you can't be saved because you're not a Christian. I would say that's the adding of works unto faith. And that, again, a false gospel, because we are justified not by our works, but by our faith, by our faith in the promise of God in the completed work of Jesus Christ. That's how we have peace. And then from that, because of that, we are evidencing our faith by the works that we do, that Christ himself has established before the, you know, the dawn of time, that we would produce good works to glorify him. So it is putting in the cart before the horse and adding to the gospel when we say you must supplement, you must add to, you must maintain by works. Oh, absolutely, brother. And it's interesting because there are denominations that teach that unless you're baptized, mm -hmm. you cannot be saved. Um, that's a discussion for another time. But in today's world, baptism is actually a sacrament, not a means to mm -hmm. salvation, but something that we are ordered and commanded to do after salvation. And baptism, if you study and understand it, is as as it pertains to the New Testament, um, it would completely change and open your eyes and understanding of baptism because in today's world, baptism would cost you absolutely nothing. And during the New Testament, it would more than likely cost you your life or your status in society or your place at the synagogue. But we won't go into that now. But I have a question for you. Do you breathe attempting to stay alive or do you breathe because it is a natural expression and outward portion of the way your body works i'd say the latter absolutely well, we we breathe without conscious knowledge we don't think about well i've got to breathe to stay alive works are the same way as it pertains to those that have truly been saved in christ works or a natural expression of the Holy Spirit dwelling in us. We don't sit out and think, okay, what good works can I do today to earn or to stay in good standing with Christ? As Christians, good works should be an expression of our new life, of the new person that we are in Christ. Granted, you know, Christ commands us to do certain things and to be and act and pursue holiness. And we need to study and understand what it means to pursue holiness. But as we mature in Christ, that desire to pursue holiness, that desire to be more like Christ will become more automatic within our daily lives to where we're not even thinking or attempting to try to do it. We do it as a result of the new person we are in Christ. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, the when we talk about things like 1 John that says if you if you are practicing sin, if you are fail if you are not practicing righteousness, 
we are not saying you need to sit down and go through a list of did I practice righteousness today? Do I did I do enough today? Because that's that's not how God evaluates us. And we don't have to sit there and figure out what good works do I need to do today so I can prove that I'm a Christian. That's not it's exactly what you said. It is the natural outworking of that changed heart that reveals who we are. So to you know, for anyone to take away and say, well, you're telling me I have to do these works. I have to prove myself. That's not what we've said. And what we're saying is it is the practice that is the natural expression, as you put it, Rich, of our salvation. It is the evidence of, just as one of the evidences that you're alive is that you're breathing. Okay, if you fail to breathe, that's a good indication you might be dead. So, um, you know, I mean, yes, there can still be some you know, uh, points where you are, uh, for a period of time, if you stop breathing, you might not yet die. But just as a, <clears throat> you know, a person who may stop breathing for a moment or for a period of time, yet that can be restarted, a person who is a Christian may fall into sin, but that does not necessarily say that they themselves are not saved and that they are not yet there that they are not alive in Christ. Now, that's an analogy that falls apart in many different ways, but the point of it is is that both of them are something that we can look at and say this is a natural outworking of life, or in this case, eternal life, is that we are practicing righteousness. But again, it's not a list that we check off every day. Did I practice righteousness? It is something that as we grow in Christ, as we study the word, as we pray, as we you know, uh, partake of the sacraments, as you were saying with regard to baptism and the Lord's Supper, as we fellowship with the saints, as we you know, uh, be obedient to be in fellowship, in worship uh, uh, with the church, we are growing in these things that is an evidence of our faith. Yet it is those who add to that and say, no, no, it must be this, 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 this to prove that you're a Christian. When you begin to add to those things and say, you must do these things, like the people who say, you must maintain your salvation. You must do enough good works to maintain your salvation. That is a false gospel because it says that Christ's work was not sufficient to actually save you to the uttermost. Rather, it is up to you and your practice to, to maintain that salvation. Again, that is a false gospel. And so those who say, you must practice this. And the example I used a minute ago, social justice, to be a Christian is adding to. That is not a practicing of righteousness. Rather, that is an add-on to Scripture. And so the, that would be, I believe, a, a, you know, consistent with what you're saying. We practice it because that is the natural result of the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit indwelling us and changing us. So... Um, we've, we're going just a little bit long here. Is there anything else we want to wrap, wrap this up with, with regard to what we are what we are looking for when we are looking for those characteristics of a false gospel? Well, I'd say another key one, and um, I'll say this in closing, is if 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 if, if it's a gospel, so or in quotations, if it's a gospel, and it's not admonishing you to pursue and desire to pursue a life of holiness in obedience and submission to Christ, it's a false gospel. Amen. And, but more importantly, 
study the Bible, read it for yourself. Don't take my word, Chris's word, or any pastor's word or ministry's word. Open the Bible and read it for yourself and pray that the Lord open your heart and grant you understanding, that the Lord grant you a desire to pursue holiness, that the Lord grant you a desire to proclaim his gospel, that the Lord grant you a desire to be more thirsty, to be more hungry for his word each day. And as time progresses, you can look back and see that I have progressed in my maturity as a Christian because X amount of time ago, I was like this, and I can see that I'm a new person now. I'm not the person I was four years ago, five years ago, or whatever time frame it might be. But any gospel that exalts you above Christ, that exalts man or society or a um, particular ideology above Christ, Anything that puts anyone, anything, or any thought above Christ is a false gospel. If it's putting Christ above all things and teaching you to submit to Christ and to submit to his word, you're a lot more on the right track than if it's saying, well, Christ wants you to be rich. Send me twenty nine ninety five, and you'll receive a blessing back in return. If, if it's saying you need to pray this prayer and really mean it from your heart to be saved, you, you, you need to back up and look because that's nowhere in the Bible. Sadly, as many years as we've discussed that, that is still prevalent in the United States today is recite this prayer, now you're saved. No man can pronounce you saved. Only Jesus Christ can pronounce you truly saved, Amen. and he will provide you evidences of that salvation, one of which is look at the fruit of the Spirit and ask yourself and examine yourself as the Bible commands. Are you actually growing in those fruits of the Spirit? Are you growing to love Christ more? Are you growing to hate your sin more? All of these things are, are evidences of true salvation. But one of the greatest marks of a false, or one of the greatest characteristics of a false gospel will exalt something or someone, or some phrase, or some way of thinking above what the Word of God has to say. And that's one of your key things to look for when spotting a false gospel. Amen. What do you think? No, absolutely. I think you've hit it right on the head. And again, this is this entire episode is not meant to be exhaustive. Because I'm sure that every one of you is going to go, well, you didn't mention this, or you didn't mention that. There's a lot we didn't mention. But we wanted to kind of point to some things that Scripture itself talks about when we're talking about what, what do false teachers do? What is, their, what is it they're saying and doing? What are they denying? What are they teaching? Versus what does Scripture itself say about the gospel? There, there are so many ways that we can approach this. And... We could do an entire year's worth of episodes just talking about that. So we're not trying to give you an entire exhaustive list. But rather what I hope we've accomplished with this, Rich, is that we want you, what we said earlier, is to be a student of the Word. You will know the false when really easily when you are just absolutely enamored with the true when you have dove straight into the scriptures, when you have embraced them and you have 
familiarized yourself with them and you've lived through them and you've worked, done the hard work of reading and studying and praying and comparing scripture with scripture, much like, you know, when the, the federal law enforcement agents go and study genuine money and feel it and touch it and you know, work with it and they understand what it, what an actual $100 bill looks like and then you hand them a fake one, they immediately know the false. That is the primary way. So our hope was just giving you a taste of what does Scripture talk about? What does it say about the true? What does it say about the false? When you recognize what Scripture says about itself, about the gospel, the false stands like a, out like a sore thumb. Okay, It's like that phony $100 bill. You will notice it immediately. And that's what our hope is in doing this episode was not to give you some sort of exhaustive apologetic on how to you know, call people false teachers and say that's a false gospel and that's a false... But rather, go to the Word of God, understand what it says about itself, how it reveals itself. And then, when you are approached with the false, you will know it right away. So that's that was my hope in doing this. I know, Rich, you felt the same way about that. And, and, and we wanted to maybe address some of those things that some of you were so kind to respond to Rich's question on social media because I think many of you recognize it. You are familiar with the true gospel. Now, what we want you to do is then take that same message and teach your brethren, teach one another, share it with the, with the world because you need that true gospel to go out there because there is so much false teaching. There are so many false gospels and false teachers out there. And so that's what we're hoping we have, we've accomplished. It just to wet your whistle for the word so that you will dive in further and learn more. And the more you know, the easier the phony is going to come standing out like a sore thumb. So, Rich, before we let everybody go, any last thoughts as we uh, wrap this up? Well, whatever you do this week, make it a point to proclaim the biblical way of salvation at least once a day. Amen, amen, amen. Folks, thank you for spending time with us again this week. We are so grateful for each and every one of you. You just make this such a joy to do. And uh, I've been sharing this on social media. I'm not doing this because numbers mean anything, but it's just an evidence of God's grace on this tiny little podcast. At last count, before we started this program, we were less than 500... um, you know, downloads away from hitting 50,000 over the last five and a half years, 50,000 times something we've put out there got listened to. That is mind-numbingly insane to think about it, that these programs have been played that many times. That is a testimony to God's grace and your kindness to us as listeners. Thank you so much for allowing us to do that. It is, uh, I, I truly believe, we, we thought it would be end of the year. We, we believe before November rolls out, we will have topped 50,000 downloads. And again, it's not that the numbers matter. It's just amazing to me that God has been that gracious to the just two little knuckleheads with microphones who sit here and, and, and just try to do our best to, to encourage Christians to glorify God and to be students of the Word. So thank you hey, brother, so much for that. Yes, Rich. I'd, just, I'd like to add in that, um, especially for brothers and sisters that we have out there that are podcasting or just getting started out, when Chris and I started, we were just blown away and tickled and, and grateful beyond belief 
when we broke 40 or 50 downloads in one week. Even when it was um, 30, <laughs> we'd be thrilled. Yeah, just be persistent, stay at it as an encouragement to those yeah. out there that are podcasting. Um, you know, we have brothers and sisters that we know that are getting 100,000 a year, if not more, downloads. Yeah. But, you know, whether you're getting 20 downloads a month or you're getting 20,000 downloads a month, keep doing what you're yes. doing if you're serving the Lord faithfully, because the numbers don't matter. What matters is no matter how many are listening or reading, if it's a blog post, the Lord will use what mm -hmm. you're putting out for his, for his glory as he decides. Amen. And just keep serving the Lord and be faithful about it and not worry whether you have 20 in your church service or you got 20,000 downloads or whatever just stay faithful at at the serving the lord and desire to serve him in even better and I, I hope maybe that'll be an encouragement to a brother or sister out there that's been podcasting for a while that are maybe frustrated mm -hmm. that they're not getting the results that maybe they would like to see but just be faithful and stay at it because like i said when chris and i started um, I can, we were talking about this in pre-show um, back in those early days. We get thirty, forty, fifty downloads in a week. We were just basically tickled to death, and now we're sitting at on the verge of breaking fifty thousand downloads. And honestly, most of those fifty thousand downloads have come in the last two and a half years mm -hmm. versus the first two and a half years. So <laughs> you never know what the Lord may do with with those efforts that you're putting into it. But just stay at it, like. Um, I'm sorry, my mind went blank. <laughs> Elijah. Amen, yes. Amen. You know, there's two bits of advice I would leave anybody that I've gotten from Brethren that I think are just wonderful. One is from Chris Huff, which he has admitted he's taken from John MacArthur, which is, you worry about the depth of your ministry, God will take care of its breath. In other words, you stay devoted to being deep in the Word of God and and, and promoting the Word of God in its entirety, God will take it to whom He wants it to be heard. So He'll 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 worry about how far and wide it reaches. You worry about being faithful to, to serve Him and to rightly represent His Word. Don't chase the numbers, chase the Word. That's from Chris Huff from Matter of Theology. He, sh he told that to me a couple years ago, and it has continued to stay with me. The other thing is something that Andrew Rappaport said, and yes, I'm going to quote Andrew. This will make him happy. <laughs> um, think about it this way. Whether your numbers are 10, 30, 100, 300, 500, 1,000, if you could have 10 people that you could sit in a room every week and they would listen to what you were talking about with the Word of God, would you be willing to do that? And it, most of us, I think, if we're doing this for God, we're going to say yes. So if it was 10 or 30 or 100, and you got 100, you get that, that, that what seems to you a small number because other people are talking about massive downloads, yet you've got 50 faithful listeners. Praise God! Be grateful for those 50 people because the Lord has saw fit to put those people on the other end of your microphone and they listen to what you are putting out. That is a testimony to His grace. So we are grateful because so many people have listened, but the reality is it wouldn't matter if it was one or 50,000. That's one more than we deserve 
it is God, it is a testimony to God's grace that we have been able to touch anybody's life with what we are saying. So that is that is God's grace and his mercy at work. So whatever you do, as we say each and every week, whatever you do, if you're a podcaster and you're doing this, uh, you know, you're speaking into a microphone like this, whatever you do this week, do it for the glory of God. Thank you guys. Good night. We'll see you next time.